What's up? This is Ralph Trezvan. You're listening to Reviews and Done with my dude, Derek Dunn. Keep it locked, fam. What's going on, world? It's Derek Dunn, back again with another interview for Reviews and Done. Today's guest is my man, Alonzo Ferguson, better known as Zoe to music heads. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. I'm good. It's Lorenzo. Lorenzo, not Alonzo. Lorenzo, Lorenzo. My apologies. My apologies. All right. So let's go ahead and get this interview uh, knocked out. Initially, you were planning to pursue a career in baseball and had dreams of playing with the Detroit Tigers. When did you get your start in music? Uh, I started early. Um, I started on, on on the piano with lessons, probably around five or six, and um, you know just had it kind of in my back pocket throughout my baseball career. And once that finished, uh, once it finished up after college, then it was pretty much all music from there. And that was, you know, I was like twenty two at that point. You were born. You were born and raised in Detroit. How was it growing up with the sound of Motown and then the era of the Detroit Bad Boys? Um, it was dope. I mean, you know, uh, any any city in the 80s was a wild place to be, and Detroit was no exception. Um, but, I mean, the Bad Boys was, a, was a, a team and an era where, like, I mean, the city loved those guys. Um you know, everybody, like Isaiah Dumars, Aguirre, Dantley, Sally, um, Rodman, Lambeard, like Mahorn, we love we love those guys. And, you know, we would we would run into them in, in public places. Like I ended up running into uh Joe Dumars one time at a at a Barnes and Noble, uh, which I still have the autograph. I think that was thirty years ago. And um, you know, these guys were personable, they were they were cool, and even like the the O four team that won, you know, they they were the same, and and our love for them was was the same too. Um, but I mean, you know, we we are it, it's a sports it's a sports city. Um, you know, we we go all out. Uh, a lot of folks from Detroit don't love nothing but Detroit. So uh, the Detroit sports, I, I mean, um, we're we're really diehard. I mean, we got to beat it to have to have the Lions in town. So. Um, you know, it was. I mean, it was. It was a fun. It was a fun time. It was a fun time. I would say. Cool, cool. I first became aware of your music during my time in the Air Force. In 2004, you released your debut, "Passion and Definition." What was the inspiration behind the title? Um, it was just me basically trying to get trying to get on at the time or get known or get recognized at the time. And I, I felt like a lot of people weren't really, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people weren't really listening. Um, so, you know, I, I still have a chip on my shoulder, in, you know, in some sense, because I'm a, I'm a competitor and I bring that from my sports side. So it was that, like, it was just me, you know, I was trying to break in, in, in certain places and, you know, it was being received, but not really. So I was like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to do all this shit myself. And so I ended up, uh, you know, that's the album where I ended up 
you know, like playing bass for the first time and, you know, adding guitar on stuff. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'm just going to do everything myself and, and see what happens. And, you know, passion and definition was basically describing my drive for the, uh, for that creative process and that, in that time. <clears throat> Cause you know, as, as, as all upcoming artists, you know, I, I felt ignored. So I was like, you know, that's basically, you know, I'm, I'm going to show y'all. So that's pretty much what it was. When did you link up with the foreign exchange? Um, I got up with them through Fonte. Uh, me and Fonte met at 05 and uh, ended up doing um, uh, the closing track for Little Brothers' um, Get Back album, which was When Everything is New. And, you know, from there, he and I, well, we had actually worked before that on my Just Visiting album. And, you know, we developed a working relationship back in 05. Uh, going into 06, and um, uh, he had asked me about doing a remake, a Stevie remake for uh, their upcoming Leave It All Behind album, which ended up being If She Breaks Your Heart. And um, <clears throat> I ended up doing that and uh, basically doing the first the first half of it. Nicolay did the second half. So, we, you know, we produced it together before, you know, before we even met. But we um, – after that joint, like, Fonte was basically like, you know, when we go on the road, you know, I don't know how we're going to set it up. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I want you involved and, you know, some kind of way. I'm going to figure it out. I don't know what it is. And he still says that to this day. Like, you know, if he has a live band and, you know, he he hits me up like, yo, I need you here to, you know, to MD this shit. So, um it was the same. It was the same back then, and uh, you know I was teaching at the time, so <clears throat> I ended up meeting Nicolay basically at my my classroom in D.C., uh, which I taught music. So I had a full space. I, you know, my classroom doubled as a rehearsal space. So we had our first, you know, foreign exchange rehearsals in that room uh, before heading up 95 to go play our first show in. Uh, New York City, a Highline Ballroom in in 2008. So that's basically how I got in with them, just uh, through uh, through Fonte. Yeah, I think the first time I saw you live was 2010 when you were doing the um, they were doing the tour for Leave It All Behind album. It was in a Falls Church yeah. at the theater. Yeah, you guys killed. Oh, that was uh. Yeah, that was uh, I'm really good with dates. That was like April of uh, 2011 at State Theater. I remember that. Yeah, you guys killed that show. Cause I actually um, was you know had been dying to see you guys live, but there was never a um time when you were doing a show that was um, you know, sitting. And I'm you know I'm up in age now, so I really try to avoid standing. We can just you know because I'm getting older and I, I prefer to sit. But yeah, when I see you guys rock that show. You guys killed that yeah. show. And I still remember at the end of the show, on the keys, um, you you brought in the uh, Ghetto Boys. Um, my friend picked something on the keys, and like the crowd just went crazy. So yeah, man, <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it yeah. live, I highly urge you to go check this brother out live. You will not be disappointed. All right. So speaking on cover albums, in 2006, you released what would become the first of a trilogy of cover albums, the Just Visiting series. Can you take us back to the process of creating that album and why you chose to cover not just R&B songs, but rock songs and jazz songs and mix it up a little bit? Um, 
just because when you're doing when you're doing cover when you're doing cover songs, you know, you want to, especially now, like you know, and and later on, um, not even so much then, but um, you know, I wanted to cover some songs that folks hadn't really touched. Um, that I that I knew of anyway. Um, I didn't really know too many too many love no limit covers or caught up in the rapture covers or um um stepping out or anything like that by uh you know, Joe Jackson and you know, these are all favorite songs of mine and, and you know, I was like, man, let me just let me just do it and kinda of put my put my twist on it, you know. Um it kinda of goes to live performances where you know again if you're not really known like that and you know still even now i mean you know we're 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 not superstars out here so you know we'll sneak in a cover or two you know just to kind of get people into what you're doing on stage or you know it's it, i don't know what you know our people like our people love cover shit man and you know it's it's the gift and the curse. It's the gift where it's like you know you you're able to show what you're able what you can do with the classic, but it's also like, okay, shit, you know now I want to play my stuff. Can we be you know can we be just as receptive? So, um, you know my my thing back then. I mean you know I was still in my bedroom and and making music and trying to um, just trying to put my spin on on my favorites. So that was the main objective with with just visiting. Plus, I wanted to do it. Um, that was the first album I had on on strictly vinyl. I ended up, you know, putting up putting up the money to have it pressed and pressed it over at, at Archer uh, Record Pressing over in, over on uh, in Hamtramck in Hamtramck, Michigan. And uh, I ended up releasing that like right right after I moved to uh, Silver Spring. So that was what um, I moved out here. Shit, I moved out here the day Dilla died, and then released just visiting. I think the month after. So I just want to. I'm gonna go off track really quick since you spoke on vinyl. From a production standpoint, as a um, someone that has a, such a strong gift for music, do you prefer vinyl to CD? And is, is it more cost effective to do CD, or is it vinyl's a bit more pricey to put your um i i have my preferences man i mean i'm i've never been a huge vinyl head um even growing up with vinyl and you know all that stuff like i preferred uh well i guess shit let me see when i was a kid vinyl you know that's when i preferred vinyl you know but it was like vinyl or cassette tape and i really didn't like cassette tapes like that um when CDs came out, like I preferred CDs. Um, you know, you could it, the quality was dope. Like you could just kind of skip through real quick, and you know, if you if you left if you left it out, like it didn't warp and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, I thought I thought CDs was cool. Like that's what I kind of connected with. Um, vinyl was fine, and you know, I you know we all love the, the crackle of the vinyl and and all that stuff. Like that's that's it. But like, you know, if I want to take vinyl and like convert it to, you know, MP3 or convert it, like that shit takes time, man. So I was like, man, let me just let me just get on these CDs with these joints and you know still have a hard copy but have a backup copy. So I'm I'm partial to CDs, 
Um, now, I guess cost effectiveness, it's a, it's a toss-up, man, because, um, you know, they say vinyl is coming back and vinyl this and vinyl heads and, you know, you get vinyl pressed up and that should be collecting dust at the crib, man. So I don't know, man. I, I, really, I really don't know. It's, it's really tough, and I think right now it's really in a – it's really in an awkward – I think music buying is in an awkward stage because of streaming. So, you know, uh, folks want to buy vinyl, and, you know, I, I pressed uh, uh, Forefront on, on vinyl only, and I was like, all right, vinyl heads, where you at? And I swear to you, like, it just, you know, the sales was was nothing. <laughs> so – you know, I you know I don't know I don't know, but, but I mean, it, all in all, for me, like I prefer I prefer CDs. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 in the same mindset. I mean, I get it with vinyl and everything, but it's just like you were just saying. I know so many artists that you know said the same statement that you said. Like, you know, will people say they're going to support vinyl and they'll buy vinyl, but you know, when you make the vinyl, no one ends up buying it. And I mean, I'm all for streaming, but if I can get a CD actually, you know, support the artist physically and have that, on, yeah. you know, in my collection to look at, then that's what I'm going to do. All right, so. Yeah, and it's, and it's tough because, yeah. like, you know, you spend so much spend so much money on, on vinyl and vinyl is not cheap at all. Um, you spend so much money doing that and, you know, you put that stuff out and then people ask for CDs. So I'm just like, man, you know what? <laughs> Y'all just stream the shit, man. I'm good. I'll be over here. In addition to the Just Visiting series, you released a cover EP with Fawn Tate from Little Brother entitled Love the 80s, which is a very, very dope mm-hmm. album. Still gets played today for me. One of the most surprising covers you did on that album was AHA's Take On Me. How much fun was it recording that one in the studio with Fawn Um, It was dope because, you know, we were, we had put out, we had put Africa out and just put it out just on, like, OK Player and, you know, just for free and just to see what the response would be. And the response was crazy. And <clears throat> we never knew that it would kind of take off like that and just be, you know, because now, like, the 80s album is kind of like a cult cult classic. And, you know, we still, to this day, get asked about a 90s cover album, which is not going to happen. And, um, you know, but, like, the Take On Me joint was, you know, we just talking and we was like, you know, what's what's really the whitest joint we can do? And Take On Me was at the top of the list. And, you know, it's, it's cool because, you know, it's the whitest joint, but black people know that synth line too. So, you know, it's, you know it came out at a time where, um, you know, if we were listening to, if we were watching MTV or if we were watching VH1 or if we were listening to the radio, um, we were more than likely going to hear that joint. I think that I think it yeah. came out in what eighty six, eighty seven. I think yeah, eighty six. That was five. Um, yeah, eighty six. Yeah. So you know, it's not you don't you don't have hip hop radio and you know a lot of radio a lot of a lot of uh, uh, black radio stations weren't even really digging hip hop like that still. So. You know, it was taking, um, I think Run DMC and LL were starting to kind of break down the barriers a little bit um, with that. But, you know, we were still kind of getting a balance of stuff, of hip-hop and R&B and 
rock and pop and, you know, all this kind of thing. So, you know, when when Take On Me was out in the 80s, like, we knew it. We knew it. We all knew that synth line, that opening synth line. And, and you know, so it was, fun. It, it was fun, man. I mean, you know, especially to, to take those, those joints and then add, <clears throat> you know, add our own stuff at the end, you know, for like the last minute and a half just to – just to have some more fun with it, um, you know. It, yeah, it was it, it was cool, man. 2010 is the release of your Sunstorm album. That album featured mm-hmm. some impressive features such as Eric Roberson, Jesse Boykins III, and Cy Smith. Were there any artists that you couldn't secure for that album who were on your dream list? Um. Not really on that album. I think on that one we pretty much got everybody that we aimed for. Um, <clears throat> we were looking to do, we were looking to do all as well with love in Portuguese, um, which is why it's written so simply. Like it's it's written so simple. Um, I think we ended up, man. How many people did we have? I'm trying to remember the original who we wanted on it originally, and I can't. I can't remember. I, I, I do remember. Um, I do remember that song almost not even making the album because you know after like we were trying for like two or three months to, to secure a vocalist and we couldn't, and uh, ended up hearing Shante on the Jazz Specs record uh, back then, and um, hit her up and she recorded it and and. And it turned out to be fire, but um, I don't remember anybody not being able to make that album. I think we were, I think we were good on that one. I think my favorite song from you would have to be "We Are on the Move," as well as "My Son" because of the video. So, speaking of the video, who came up with the video concept for that one? Uh, that was Tay. Um, he came up with he came up with that one if I remember right. Um, I remember him hitting me hitting me about it and that whispers uh, keep on loving me video, which was you know what we tributed. Um, that was always a favorite of ours. Like I remember being in a hotel in Chicago and this was early FE tour days. This is maybe like '09 and. Um, I, I think he had came to, he came to my room and like the band was in my room and we were watching that video and we was cracking up laughing. So for us to do a tribute to the video, um, it was right in, it was right in line. Like you know we we love that video and you know we love that song and and you know it's Leon Silvers the third who was probably my favorite producer of all time. So it was um it was a tribute to to all of that. Um just you know just just black. 80s R&B videos that are super simple. Um, you know, it's, just, it's you and your boys dancing through the city. So, um, yeah, it was that was that was a uh, that was Fonte's suggestion, if I if I remember right. Can you tell us about the creative process for the album covers of, of Skybreak and Forefront? Um, Skybreak was basically a, a concept that um, the, the photographer Keith Estep came up with. Uh, we were shooting at 
the now closed Bohemian Cabarets, which was uh, a jazz club in D.C. on U Street, U Street and 11th. And um, I think it was open for, what, 90 years, 90-plus years? And, uh, like, just oddly enough, we did that shoot in maybe February of 16, I, I think, and it was closed or said to be closed maybe maybe like two or three weeks later. It was really eerie. <clears throat> but the reason why we, we chose to shoot there is because they had a piano, and we had a, we had a uh, concept of me sitting at a piano and, you know, kind of doing a, a, you know, kind of an old jazz record type of cover. And, uh, you know, we took some of those. We had those, and I think that ended up being the back cover of the album. Um but he had an idea while we were shooting. He was like, man, why don't you, you know, walk up the steps? And so I was like, all right, cool. And, you know, that was, these were the last shots we took. And um, they ended up being being it, being the cover for the for Skybrink and being the cover for um, the Lifelines uh, single as well. Um, but, I mean, it, it represents basically my, my father just passed like two months prior to that. So it basically represents him um, – you know, uh, walking and taking the trip to heaven, walking to the walking to the light, basically dark dark to the light. So that was that concept. The uh, the forefront the forefront joint was. I mean, we were just trying to find some dope shots. We were we were at this is me and uh, my man Antoine uh, Liars, who also did the cover for uh, the Little Brother album uh, here recently. <clears throat> um, so. We were, ba- we were, I mean, we were just shooting at, uh, we was at New York Avenue and uh, North Capitol, Northeast, and just trying to find some, some spots. We were, we, um, you know, that's a, that's a heavy, that intersection is always populated with traffic, and it was a bitch to try to park, but, um, you know, ended up getting down there and, and, um, and, and getting some shots in and, and you know, it's it's like it was like July I think it was like June or July, so it was hot as hell. Like I'm in I'm on the cover of my own album, I'm sweating and, you know, all this stuff, but it ended up turning out turning out all right. We ended up getting some back cover shots and some insert shots, um at this uh this cafe kind of around the corner. Um but no no real rhyme or reason for that one. We were just trying to get a we were just trying to get a dope location. And he hit me up about that spot and, and you know, everybody knows knows uh, New York and uh, and North Capitol, so I was like, "Hell yeah, let's do it." In your opinion, what was the last classic hip hop album you heard, and the last classic R and B album you heard? Uh, last classic hip hop album was probably the the New Little Brother album, and I say this because not sure. because I was on it, but because um <clears throat> because you know it was just so anticipated and I believe that it lived up to the anticipation more uh, uh, even more so than <clears throat> than was anticipated um, you know we I remember you know having a conversation with Fonte about them releasing the album and you know making sure that it wasn't just an album to get out because the demand was there. It was, you know, they wanted to make sure it was an album that, that was out and that was dope. Um, you know, so there was a lot of care put into, there's a lot of care put into it. So, I, you know, I have a biased opinion because I was able to see behind the scenes and I was able to see, 
you know, everything that they talked about in, in, you know, the interviews that they were doing in their press runs, which I, I don't even think I saw a full interview because I was like, I've heard this shit already. And, you know, so, um, but, yeah, I, I, would say, I would say that one. I would say, I would say the, um, the latest Little Brother album, um, which is strange because, like, I, I haven't had my ears on a lot of hip-hop here lately. Um, but I would, say, I would say that one for sure. Uh, last classic R&B album. Good question. <laughs> and I'm trying to think because, you know, we get hit with so many albums, man. It's so much music, and I'm trying to just wrap my mind around one without saying my own because I would say my own in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. Shit. I probably because, came you know, up with one when you sent me the question. You know, we throw around the word classic so much, and you know, and, and yeah. the new medium. And I tell people, like for me, you know, classic is going to be different to um, to everybody because I can I can sit and listen to an album from start to finish, but yeah. you might be certain songs I don't like. But if I like at least ninety five percent of the album, or hell, I'll even say even eighty five percent of the album. Then I'll, I'll consider it either classic or very, very, very good. Like I, very I, I much so. It. Yeah. I, <clears throat> right. Right. You, I agree with that. I rock I can agree with this that. Songs that I skip over because they just don't hit for me the same way other songs do. And then you know you take into account like album links. Like you look at Usher's Confessions album. That album was twenty songs, and it's like I don't rock with every single song. Yeah. On that album, you know, there might be only like three or maybe maybe two or three that I really don't care for. But I mean, there's no song I you know I flat out hate on that album. I mean, I rock with the bulk right. of the album. And on top of that, man, you know your your ears grow, your your ears yeah. and your taste grows and expands. So like, even when I because like I'm I'm big on like playlists and I've been doing that shit since I was in like middle school making tapes and, um, you know, putting together my own little compilation CDs when I was, you know, able to drive. And, um, you know, once iTunes came out, I'd make a, you know, make different lists and all that stuff. And then Spotify comes out. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm just, let me just apply those lists to this list. So, but, you know, I'm always having to go back and adjust my playlist because my taste changes. You know, every, you know, I don't know, every five or so years, like, you know, you you may hear some stuff that they may kind of skew skew your taste a little bit. You you grow like I'm my favorite shit as a forty one year old is definitely not my favorite shit as a twenty one year old. So um, no thing. Okay, all right, I got one. I got one. <clears throat> and I guess I don't I don't even know if this would be like R and B or not, but uh, I would say Thundercats first album, the uh, Golden Age, Golden Age of Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah Thundercats is doing is, it. is is one. Because I remember uh, being at Fonte's crib, and he was playing this shit. And I was like, "What the fuck is that? That shit is crazy." He was playing uh, "Daylight" off of there, and I know some shit is really, really good when it inspires me to go in the studio, or when it makes me say, "Fuck, I wish I I would have did that. I wish I would have done that one." And "Daylight" was like that. Like "Daylight" was a joint that I heard was like, "Man, I wish I'd have done that joint." I heard Daylight, the Fleer Ultra joint, 
uh, is it love and it walking? Like we ran walking probably 30 times in a row. We was like, yo, this shit is crazy. And it's, you know, it's just simple. It's just, you know, it's just, it's simple drums with, you know, a lot of different changes on it. And, you know, I like the way that he, you know, he was giving props to, to George Duke on the, on the album. Um, but he's been a favorite of mine basically since then, since 2011. So it's been, been nine years running. I would so I would say that one. Who are some of the hip hop artists you would love to work with? Uh, Black Thought. Black Thought is, is yes is that is that guy. Um, and we met. We actually met at the Roots picnic, and I think it was 2010. And um, it was another one of the situations where you know I'm, I'm I go up to him. And I'm ready to give a whole bunch of props and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yo, man, I'd love to rock over one of your joints. And I was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, let's do it. Like, you know, we exchange information. It just, it, it never happened. Um, matter of fact, fun fun fact, and I may, I may post this today. <laughs> I may post this today in the group. Fun fact, um, Black Thought was supposed to sing on Just Visiting 3. He was supposed to do the Barry White joint. He was supposed to do Playing Your Game. Um but it just it just never pan, it never panned out. Um, I think at that time they had maybe just started the Tonight Show gig, and you know time was time was kind of tight for us, and time wasn't there for 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 Tariq, so it just didn't happen. Um, but yeah, he he would definitely be he would definitely be the guy that I would uh, want to work with hip hop wise. And I'm I'm happy that he's finally starting to get his um props from everyone else, you know, kind of mainstream-wise. Right. Because yeah. the brother is just yeah. so, um, so overly talented. And, you know, I would always tell folks that would call the roots, like, boring. I'm like, it's not that the roots are boring. The roots are like mint conditions. They are a band. So to fully appreciate them, you got to see them live. And it's like, you know, when the night show came along, you know, they started to get some more props. But it's like, it's nothing like actually going to a concert and seeing the roots do that shit right, five, right. they would totally impress you and make you a believer. And I mean, I don't care if you're in the rock, yeah. if you're in the country, whatever. The roots got something for you. <laughs> like that's, that's how. Oh, a hundred percent. And they, I mean, they they inspired so many folks on the hip hop side, particularly to um, to travel with bands, to to play with bands, and to respect the band. Uh, on stage and what they can do and their ability. Um, so I mean, they they are absolute pioneers in that in that sense. Because um, I mean, you know, hip hop hip hop started with like live players and stuff like that, and then got away from it. Um, you know, in the in in the early '80s, and you know, Dre started bringing in bringing back live players in in the studio and stuff like that but you know for the most part it was like shit we two turntables and a dj out here so you know what the what the roots have done and what they have come from like it's it's really incredible it's been it's been incredible to watch with the coronavirus going on have you found yourself revisiting any films from your childhood Man, I find myself revisiting all the films. I've watched half of Netflix, probably a fourth of Prime. Um, <clears throat> what did I what, what did I watch? 
what did I watch not too long ago? I watched like Death by Temptation a couple weeks ago, um, Vampire in Brooklyn. Um, I watched King of New York last week. Uh, just because it's there and it's available, and you know, I'm not sleeping well. So you know, the the pandemic has been kind of two months of just restless sleep. Um, you know, three to three to four hours a night. Just because you know we we had a schedule and the schedule is no more. <laughs> um, we had we had plans and and God laughed at them, and you know now we just kind of got to make it make it work. And you know a lot of companies are are saying you know we we're with you and all that. And I'm like you with us until that bill comes, and we got to pay that bitch. So you know. Uh, the the um, the line of being happy right now has just been you know it's been kind of binging out on Netflix or just kind of binging out um, on some on on music and you know all the shit that we we now have time for because we we had the crib so you know we got we got time for it. Yeah, you brought up a King of New York. I might need to pull that out myself. I used to always joke around with um folks that that's like that's one of the few movies. The Wesley Snipes was kind of a um, not really a punk, but he was just yeah, because he he went from that movie then to to Nino, so that was a, that was a crazy jump. Yeah, he, 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 even his whole thing when they were talking like, "I'm from the South," like, "Come on, Wesley, what you doing, man? You gotta toughen up a bit." Yeah. All right. So the year '72, and you have a chance to work with Curtis Mayfield on the Supervised Soundtrack tour. Mm-hmm. Or with Isaac Hayes in support of the Shaft soundtrack, who would you pick and why? Uh, between Superfly Tour or working on Shaft the album? Yeah, I would. I would rather work on the album because then um, the reason being is because you know back then I mean there, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of um, <clears throat> there may have been some audio of touring. But as far as, like, 2020, you touring with somebody, it's kind of lost in the sauce. Like, I think if if I was to work on the album, um, you know, you're still solidified in those liner notes and, you know, as as having, um, you know, played a part. So I would say longevity-wise, <clears throat> I would rather work on the, on the shaft joint. And... Um, yeah, because, I mean, you know, either one, I mean, it's a toss-up as far as, like, who to work with, period, because, I mean, I would have loved to see either one of their creative processes, but between the tour and the album, I would have rather, well, rather worked on the album. What can you tell us about your documentary, Making Sky Break, that just hit Amazon? Uh, what can I tell you about it as far as it being on Amazon? But just in general, like the, the process behind it and how it was making it. Oh uh, shit! It was it was a uh, a lot of work, man. It was a lot of work. I mean, the interviews and all that stuff and the behind the scenes process, like that was the that was the fun part. It was after it was after after it was shot, and you know my my guys from Digifay, um, uh, Donnie Seals, Eric Seals. Uh, Raphael Nash, uh, Avery, 
uh, Gene Avery, like those guys just putting in the work, and especially with them going in to edit and, you know, sending drafts back and, you know, that's when the, that's when the part, that's when the, 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 uh, the work comes through, um, you know, doing films like that and doing, and, um, Shit, that's how that's how it always is, though. Even with uh, even with albums, like you know, making the album is is kind of the fun part. But then once it's released, then it's a whole nother set of work. <clears throat> Whereas with film, you know, you you shoot it, then the, the the whole new set of work comes in the editing process, which is a you know, it's a, that's a long time. And you know, I give nothing but props to uh, to Digifay for for. Uh, doing the heavy lifting on that, um, you know, all I really had to do was kind of look it over and, you know, give my suggestions and all that kind of stuff. But they were they were putting in work on that joint, um, and I mean, we we kind of we released it three years ago in support of the uh, Skybreak album, and it's just now coming out on on Prime, uh, just because you know none of us none of us have done this before where we've released a film. Um, so it's just it's just it's just a learning curve, uh, you know. I, I I will know with the next documentary or the next film that we put out, um, you know, exactly what to do and, and release your shit in a timely manner. But um, you know, just the fact that it's on Prime now and because um, it had previously been on Vimeo for purchase and and uh, also uh, Quality TV uh, for streaming, which is a black-owned streaming uh, platform. <clears throat> But the fact that it's on Prime, and you know, everybody got Prime, or a lot of people have, a lot, lot of people have Prime. So, um, you know, our goal has always to been has always been to have people watch it, <laughs> to have it available so so that people can watch it. And uh, so far, the the uh, feedback has been uh, has been incredible. And and I also I didn't realize how many people hadn't seen it. So that's been kind of cool too. If an aspiring producer were to approach you and ask for five essential albums to listen to regarding song structure, what five would you recommend? Uh, five essential albums regarding song structure. Let's see, now I got I got to sit in front of my laptop now. I, let's see. Shit, three of them would probably be Stevie albums. Um, let me think on that. I mean, just off the top for me, I'd say uh, Songs in the Key of Life, Purple Rain, Thriller, uh, New Edition Heartbreak, and probably The Blueprint, Jay-Z. Let me think what it would be for me. It would be um, nineteen ninety nine. Um, I want you by uh, Marvin. Um, I always go back and forth between um between inner visions and um talking book 
Oh, man. I'm going to say talking book three. Um, Friends, Shalimar. Uh, Fantastic volume two. There we go. You can Shalimar in there. Yeah, folks don't give Shalimar enough credit. Shalimar was bad. No, they don't. No, they don't. And I think part of that is because they're like, well, you know, they're they're a group that was put together and they were manufactured and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, them motherfuckers had jams, bro. Yeah, even Jeff. Yeah, like you you got Leon Silvers the third at the boards and you have a lead singer in Howard Hewitt who was singing Mugs Under the Table. And you got jams. They, I mean, they they got jams. That was Shalimar was basically like the first group that was like my own, my own favorite, my own discovery, my own favorite. So you know, they hold a, a special place with me. I had um, I had no idea. You know, they were so well respected until again. You know, I was in the Air Force and I did my time overseas. So you know, I did my entire tour in the UK. And also DJed over there. So one night during a happy hour set, I was just playing Shalimar, and I threw on the Pop Along Kid just you know just to play a song because I was just having fun. And then Britt knew that song, man, and danced like it was nobody's business. Like I was oh, shocked. Wow. And Pop Along Kid is a is a album cut. So yeah, yeah. that that really show. I know they get love over there though because they they uh I've seen. YouTube stuff of them doing like TV shows over there and stuff like that back back in the heyday, <clears throat> and they was going off. So that's how it usually goes, though. I'm a big fan of musical biopics. Is there any musician's life story you like to be told on the big screen? Um, not really. I'm like, I'm a. I'm a fan of biopics to an extent, um, but I always find myself like watching watching a biopic and then then going on Google and trying to find an article of what part was true and what part was for the screen. Yeah. Um, I'm a bigger fan of documentaries. So, for example, like when the when the Bobby DeBars uh, <laughs> joint came out and um, you know, I was kind of, I watched it begrudgingly, um, but I would have loved to have seen, you know, a two-hour documentary on him or, you know, a two-part documentary or something. Uh, same with, like, a Donny Hathaway. I think the only thing that I've really seen on him like that has been unsung, and I don't even think that he has a book on him, which is crazy. Um, so I guess those two I would love to see documentaries done on um as far as biopics um shoot man i wouldn't be mad at a luther biopic to be honest with you yeah he has a story yeah you actually i wouldn't be mad at that he's the first time i've interviewed that they didn't want to see nobody's um Biopic. I mean, since so I started my interviews, everybody's always like, you know, Donnie, Prince, or whoever. 
and I mean, I, it's the same with biopics that, you know, you being in the industry and being an artist, like, you know, you kind of see it differently than, say, the masses would. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a film person, so it's like, you know, I, I get it. You want to get it out mm-hmm. there, but it's not, hard to tell, it's not hard to tell a biopic. You just have to actually be passionate about the subject. You have to want to, you know, make sure that you appeal to the masses and appeal to the public. And I, I always tell people, you know, people like Prince, people like MJ, you could do a biopic on them because they they led such rich lives. You didn't necessarily got to do a biopic on um, you know, birth to death. I mean, Prince story, Prince's story alone, could just focus on his battle with Warner Brothers in the '90s and how he foresaw the streaming age. That that right there is a it's a court case movie that you can you know do the right way. With Michael, right. he's focused on his story from um, Off the Wall to Thriller and how he felt, you know, he didn't get his just due for Off the Wall. You know, it's an underdog story. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm big on biopics. That's, that's, that's like my um, thing. Docs, too, and I still haven't seen a documentary that tops the one that Tribe had back in 2011. Yep. I've got, uh, yep. I've got that one. I've got that poster hanging on my wall, actually. Um, yeah, I, I I mess with that one. I mess with that one. I mess with yeah, that Rappaport one. Yeah, Rappaport did the same with that tribe doc. And it's it's so many artists that you know would love to see a doc on them. I'm still waiting on somebody to do something for Dilla. Still waiting on um Kane to get his just you know, his just due, the whole juice crew being be a nice um two hour documentary. The um yeah. the bridge I mean shit, there's not even a this like I'm I'm low key obsessed with early hip hop. And not necessarily early hip hop the material, but early hip hop like how it was lived and how you know, the mind the scenes and the clubs and what club was popping and what they were doing in each borough and how they responded and you know, who was getting robbed and what were the gangs and all that stuff. But like, you know, there's still not a lot on like cool hurt and um Yep. Uh, I know I know Flash has a book that I have, um, but I don't think that there's a doc on on him. Um, yeah, just you know, just stuff like that. I'm like, man, get this shit while they while they still here with us, man. <laughs> you know, to get their input. Because I'm yeah, like I'm sure I'm sure uh, hip hop pioneer cats would love to tell us tell their story because you know a lot of them feel like they came too early where they couldn't really, um, you know, capitalize off, off of this shit or, or make a living off of, off of doing what they were doing. Um, I would love to see one on Kaz, too, Grandmaster Kaz. That would be dope. Are you currently writing a new album? Or just um, yeah, I've got, cook, cook. I've, got, I've got two. I've got one with um, Tall Black Guy that we're going to release uh, and one with Cy Smith. Both of them are, are EPs. Um, uh, no release date yet, just because you know we're just trying to see what the what the world is going to do. Um, you know, I guess it wouldn't be it wouldn't be detrimental to us to release it just because everybody is home. But the detriment comes when you have to give your album some legs right now and get on the road with it. So that's kind of tough. Um, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to tweet people out of listening to it by tweeting about it every five minutes. So we'll see. We'll see when it comes out. But 
Those two are in the works right now. Is there anything you'd like to add, and where can fans find you on social media? Um, I am on everything via Zo35. So Z O the number three H R E E, the number five I V E, and that's at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, all of that stuff. Everything that I release um, is on my site under the albums part, or you can stream it uh, where music is streamed. Title, Apple Music, Spotify. Um, all of that stuff, and usually, you know, if you if you hit me up via social media, as long as it's not out of pocket, I will usually respond back. So, all right, folks. Once again, today's guest was Mr. Lorenzo Ferguson, better known as Zoe. I highly, highly encourage you all to check out his brother's documentary on Amazon Prime, Making Skybreak, as well as his discography, which is very, very mellow soulful, hip-hop oriented, pretty much anything you want to hear, Zo got something for you. So as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Thank you to my guests. Peace and blessings. And as always, in the words of Maurice White, may you be ever wonderful. Done. Out. Uh, This is Brock Obama. Uh, Tune in next week for another episode of Reviews and Done uh, with your host, formerly known as uh, DJ Aftermath, uh, but still the slow jam king, DMV's own Derek Dunn.